Hi, this is Sean Fenske, Editor-in-Chief of Medical Product Outsourcing, and I'm back once again for another episode of Mike on MedTech. With me, as always, is Mike Drews, President of Vascular Sciences. How are you doing today, Mike? Good. Thank you, Sean. So today we're going to talk about something that uh, many of you have probably heard about, but maybe not as many of you have explored as an option for uh, a project or an upcoming uh, product uh, that you're looking to put through the uh, FDA, and that's the FDA's Breakthrough Designation Program. Um, I, I want to get right into it, so we're going to start with the obvious. Mike, if you can explain for us what exactly this program is. So that's a great place to start, Sean, and thanks again for the opportunity to talk to you and your audience. So the Breakthrough Designation Program, uh, also known as the BDP, was uh, created by Congress as part of the 21st Century Cures Act back in 2016. And simply put, it's an extension of the Expedited Access Program, or EAP. FDA put out a guidance on that uh, a couple of years ago in 2015. And before that, you might remember, Sean, there was something called the Medical Device Innovation Initiative, MDII. And right. before that, there were other things. So the BDP, simply put, represents the next in a series of these special programs, as I like to call them, to basically encourage companies to pursue breakthrough technologies, whatever that means, and we can get into that in a moment, that are often, but not always, in areas of unmet clinical need. Um, and for the benefit of your audience, and we can put a reference on the website, FDA put out a guidance document specifically on the BDP uh, just this past year in 2017. Uh, but really, uh, there's nothing new in it. It's really just uh, a reiteration of the requirements that came out of the 21st Century Cures Act. And if you'd like, Sean, I can quickly go through those. Uh, well, well, we'll see. We'll see where we stand. But okay. Um, but simply put, we... uh, uh, let me just add one thing. Simply put, the goal of the BDP, as well as all of these programs, is very simple, and that is to help patients gain timely access to these breakthrough technologies that have the potential to change lives without compromising safety or effectiveness. At least in theory, that's very easy to say, but is that also reality? Well, we can talk about that. Right, exactly. Uh, okay, so let's, let's go into what the, uh, what the advantages would be for a company to uh, seek out you know, getting an approval for the breakthrough designation. So good question. Let me start out with uh, telling your audience what, is, what it does not do. Neither the BDP nor any of these other special programs is a shortcut to the market. In other words, it's not like you're going to have to do less work in terms of uh, testing, benchtop, animal, clinical, and so on. Uh, this is th the reason why I mentioned this is because there's a lot of people that call me and say, I want to do this because I can get my product on the market much more quickly without doing uh, as much work. And that's simply not the case. The overall regulatory burden, if you will, is exactly the same. The biggest advantage is you get through the regulatory process, as I like to describe it, in a more efficient uh, way. In other words, you become a bit of a priority at the FDA. They tend to be responsive, uh, more responsive. They tend to perhaps put you ahead of uh, other people who are working on <clears throat> uh, you know, non-breakthrough technologies, me-toos, if you will. Uh, they tend to be willing to have a much more collaborative relationship. 
So those are the most significant advantages, at least from the regulatory side, as we'll talk about, there are some advantages of the program beyond just the regulation as well. Okay, so you said it doesn't, it won't speed your time through, but in essence, by making it more efficient, as long as a company has all their ducks in a row and is doing the, you know, the due diligence on, you know, testing and, and clinical studies and things like that, would it be fair to say that that ultimately could get them through the regulatory process faster without lessening the burden? Yeah, let me, uh, that's a good point, Sean. Let me clarify that because I don't want to be misunderstood here. Uh, when done properly, uh, if you do uh, qualify for BDP status, um, you can get onto the market in less time uh, because of, as you said, you know, it is more efficient. But it's not like you're doing less work. So you're doing, right. maybe this is a simple way to put it, you're doing essentially the same amount of work but in, uh, in less time. Does that make okay. sense? Yes, that's, that's definitely uh, better uh, clarified. Um, all right, so uh, let's say a company does determine that their product would likely qualify for a breakthrough designation and is willing to you know, uh, uh, attempt that application. What do they have to do to apply? So basically what you have to do, uh, and this is spelled out in the guidance I referred to a moment ago, uh, you have to put this together in uh, a package and uh, basically sell FDA on the fact that your device, your technology does meet the criteria specified in the um, 21st Century Cures Act uh, for breakthrough designation. What I like to do as well, and this is optional, I like to have a specific breakthrough designation pre-submitting uh, with FDA to make sure that, uh, that this is in fact the case. Now, uh, as part of that guidance that I mentioned, FDA did create a new type of pre-sub specifically for the BDP. One of the interesting things about it is it is supposed to be, uh, and I underline the word supposed to be, limited to just the BDP justification. Uh, any additional information in there about the, the technology, how it works, the regulatory pathway and so on, whether it's 510K or PMA, whatever, technically is optional. You do not have to have it in there. In my opinion, that's a mistake. Uh, I personally don't think it's impossible to have a, an intelligent conversation about any new medical device, especially a breakthrough device, without having some information in there about the technology, about the testing, about the regulatory strategy. But it is a, uh, you know, what, I've, what I do, and I've, I've got probably a half a dozen BDPs that have gone through or are going through FDA uh, since the program was created. Um, uh, I like to put in sort of a Reader's Digest version of it. So the first step in the process, in, 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 in my opinion, is to do the BDP pre-sub. And then the second step um, is to follow that up with a traditional pre-sub that would give you a lot more latitude to go into many of those other things in, in more detail. So the, the first step is making the case that you, that you meet uh, the criteria in the, uh, in the 21st Century's Cures Act. So the, that, that uh, BDP pre-sub would be specifically for prior to your application for 
uh, breakthrough designation status. Yeah, that's, that's correct. Uh, kind of like the pre-RFD process for those in the audience that are familiar with that. Uh, having a, a meeting in that case with the Office of Combination Products is optional, but if you are, they do recommend uh, before you put in that the, um, uh, the, 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 the formal uh, request for designation. So it's, it's similar. The regulatory logic is, is the same. Okay. So, so all right. You've done your 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 BDP uh, pre-sub. Let's let's say the FDA has said yes. This sounds like it would be you know uh, uh, relevant or, or applicable to the program. Then you apply. Then you're suggesting having that second pre-sub, which is more of a standard pre-sub. Well, so again, let me qualify because I know this is a little bit confusing. There is no um, formal application, if you will, like a 510K or a PMA or something like that for this particular program. You, your application is essentially your pre-sub package, if you will. Uh, and uh, as I said a moment ago, uh, according to the guidance, which I personally disagree with, but uh, it should be limited to the BDP justification. Um, and then FDA makes a determination, yes, we agree that this is eligible for the BDP and, uh, and you're granted that status, or no, we don't. And in either case, I follow that up with a more traditional pre-sub, because, because the BDP is, has nothing to do with your, uh, your regulatory pathway to market, whether it's a 510K, Denomo, De novo PMA or anything else. It's just simply, as I said, a way to more efficiently get through the process, whichever process that is. And the reason why I follow up with a traditional pre-sub, as I said, is because it then gives us the opportunity to go into all of those other things in much more detail. Um, again, not to make it more complicated, Sean, but let me try explaining it one other way. Whether you're um, whether your device qualifies for the BDP or not does not depend on whether it's a 510K or a de novo or a PMA or anything. It does not depend on whether clinical data is needed or not. It does not depend on any of the testing or other, or other things that you might be doing. It simply goes back to those criteria listed in the 21st Century Cures Act that Congress laid out uh, as qualifications to get into this particular uh, program. Okay, sounds good. Um, and I, actually, I don't, I don't, I don't want to beat, beat the topic, but uh, just one, one further question. Let's say you're planning a standard, just a, a regular pre-sub meeting with the FDA. Would the FDA possibly, let's say it's a PMA submission or you're expecting it to be a PMA submission, would the FDA possibly suggest the BDP program in a pre-sub for you to, you know, consider? They certainly could uh, if they see it uh, as a breakthrough technology that meets those four or five criteria from Congress and you have not prophylactically suggested to, to them, they might suggest that to you. Um, and if they do, that would be very nice. But on the other hand, not to be unkind, I would argue that if that's the case, then the regulatory folks in your company uh, probably don't know what the heck they're doing because they missed, you know, a huge opportunity. So, um, so the short answer to your question is, yes, Sean, that could happen, but I would like to think that as diligent uh, medical device professionals, we would know that in advance 
um, and we would be more prophylactic in taking it to the FDA. Okay, definitely, definitely fair. Um, okay, so uh, we're we're getting numbers from the FDA and in, in you know through their their voice blog and their outreach that nearly half of the breakthrough designation applications are being rejected. What can a company do to avoid that? Well, that's a great question, Sean. So uh, the overall success rate is about 57%, which means a little over 40% are rejected. On the surface, you know, that might sound kind of bad, but let me put that in context, you know, uh, compared to the overall success rate of 510Ks and PMAs, it's actually quite good. That's point number one. And point number two, this should be, by definition, a very selective program. This is not, with all due respect, intended for uh, Me Too devices where there's already 20 or 50 of devices already out there. This is, you know, as the name implies, truly for breakthrough technologies. Whether those, um, uh, those, those existing devices that have gotten into the program are truly breakthroughs or not, obviously that's a topic of discussion, but uh, it's supposed to be um, a small audience. That's, that's uh, the first part. What can, they, what can a company do if you, uh, in order to maximize your, your probability? Uh, again, it goes back to the criteria laid out in, uh, in the 21st Centuries Act by Congress. Um, it says that the criteria says that you need to meet at least one of the following uh, criteria, and they give uh, four or five in the list. Well, I don't think, to maximize my success, I don't think meeting one criteria is enough. In my BDP justification, and if anybody who is listening is interested, I have an example that I can, um, you know, that I can share with people if they contact me. Uh, I try to meet every single one of those criteria, or at the very least, as many of them as I can, uh, in order to maximize my probability of success. In other words, what I'm doing, Sean, uh, is I want to take away every possible opportunity that I can for FDA to disagree with me. So I don't want to just meet one, which is what, the, which is what Congress said. I want to meet all of them. If I meet all of them, it's much more difficult for FDA, certainly not impossible perhaps, but much more difficult for FDA to disagree with me. Right. Um, all right, so let's say that you have uh, submitted you know, or, or attempted to go through the uh, breakthrough designation process, and you are reject. You are one of that you know, 40% plus uh, uh, group. What are your options in that case? So in that case, you know, the company has to decide, is this a battle worth fighting or not? Uh, in, in those cases, you know, the company might just decide, okay, you know what, we tried it, but quite frankly, you know, we, we, we swung the bat, but we, we, we missed the ball, uh, and we're just going to proceed, you know, normally with our 510K or PMA or whatever it is. That would be one option. A second option would be to go back to the FDA with a stronger argument as to why you genuinely believe 
that your technology does meet the BDP criteria. And please don't insult FDA's intelligence by basically going back, and I see this happen a lot, going back to the FDA and telling them what you already told them. I mean, to me, that's a total waste of time and money. You know, you've, 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 you've played that card, and FDA says, sorry, we're not buying it. So what's the point of playing the same card again? You need to go back to them with stronger arguments, with better arguments, with different arguments, whatever it is, you need to be more persuasive. And then the last option that the company always has, uh, this is not unique to the BDP, but, you know, across the board, if, you know, uh, if after, you know, working with the reviewers, you, you know, the, the reviewers in the company just see things differently, and in spite of your best attempts, uh, you cannot come to a meeting of the minds, as my lawyer friends like to say, you do have what I call the nuclear option. And that is, you can take your case to the ombudsman. The ombudsman's office is separate from CDRH. They report directly to the office of the commissioner. They're sort of the Judge Wapner, if you will, to, to date myself here. They're, a, you know, uh, um, uh, sort of a, uh, an independent uh, view on this, kind of like, a, you know, a judge. And they will listen to what the reviewers say, and they will listen to what you say, and then they will say, we agree with the reviewers or we agree with the company. Um, it's what I call the nuclear option because uh, it is an option, but it's only an option of last resort. In other words, it's possible to win the battle but ultimately lose the war. And the reason why I mention that is because it is possible, and this has happened to me, uh, where the ombudsman agrees with me and says the reviewers are wrong, but uh, at some point you're probably going to be working with those reviewers again in the future, either for this device or perhaps a future device. You know, what's the likelihood of as soon as I walk in the room, somebody's going to be thinking, oh, there's that Drew's guy. He made me look really bad, you know, before. <laughs> I'm going to make his life a living you-know-what now. I wish right. I could tell you that that did not happen in the real world, Sean, but I also did not fall off the turnip truck yesterday. That does happen. So right. companies do have that option, uh, but use it um, as a last resort. Yeah, I mean, you know, all, when everything's said and done, we're still dealing with human beings speaking with human beings, so there's going to be, you know, insulting and, and not insulting, but hurt feelings or, or feeling as if you're insulted if, the, you know, you go that nuclear option. I could definitely see that. And one other example I'll share with you. This is a, a case that I'm involved with right now. So long story short, the company went to the FDA with their BDP uh, um, um, uh, justification. Uh, this was before the company started working with me. And FDA came back and, and asked them uh, a series of technical questions. Um, and it, uh, about the, the technology and about uh, the testing and the clinical data and so on. Uh, well, the company did not push back. You know, that is, um, uh, you know, beyond the scope of the BDP uh, designation. You know, as I said earlier, uh, the, the most important objective and really the only objective in a BDP pre-sub is to um, – determine whether or not we meet the BDP um, program requirements. Um, and if FDA comes back with questions, the first thing that I would do, and this is the first thing I advised the company when they did bring me on after this happened, is to go back to the FDA and very politely, very respectively push back and push back hard and basically say, look, these are all very legitimate questions and we're more than happy to discuss them with you after we make the determination of the BDP. 
Um, it's very important in this game, Sean, to remember who's in control. You know, a lot of people, they, they let the FDA be in control, and I don't want to say that's a mistake, but that's not the way that I prefer to play this game. You know, it's kind of like, uh, you know, a person riding a horse. You know, a very experienced rider will maintain control of that horse. But if you have an inexperienced rider, I think you know where I'm going with this. Right, right. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're just about out of time, but before we wrap up, I have one more question, and it's regarding uh, something that perhaps the marketing folks would be interested in, and that's if there are any non-regulatory advantages. Obviously, we talked about the efficiency of the moving through the FDA process. Are there any adv- non-regulatory-related advantages to obtaining the breakthrough designation, such as you know, maybe public relations or, uh, you know, uh, effort or towards fundraising efforts? Well, the short answer to your question, Sean, is absolutely yes, and you just mentioned two of my favorites. I have had, and I'm currently working with, a few companies now who are doing the BDP or some version of it, whether it's the EAP or some other form of fast-tracking, if you will, for exactly those reasons. In other words, if you have a very small company, a startup, um, and you can say uh, that FDA has recognized your technology as a breakthrough technology, obviously that has huge advantages in terms of public relations. If you can go to a potential investor and say FDA has recognized our technology and you know as a breakthrough. And especially if you say to them, you know, because of that, we're going to be able to work with the FDA more collaboratively, more efficiently. Uh, I think that's going to be, um, uh, you know, a great advantage in the mind of an investor. In other words, it's going to be making it more, much more likely for them to sit down and sign the check. Um, as a matter of fact, Sean, and I don't want to get into specifics here, but I've got a couple of companies that I'm working with that, you know, quite frankly, they don't care about the, the regulatory advantages of this. What they're primarily interested in are these non-regulatory advantages like PR and fundraising. So, yeah, there, there are definite reasons why a company, especially a small or a startup company, should consider this if, and this is the, the big caveat, Sean, if you can make a legitimate argument that this is, in fact, that this, that this does, in fact, qualify for the BDP designation. Um, And by the way, one other thing that I'll add before we wrap this up, one of the principal differences between the BDP and uh, the former EAP that I mentioned earlier is that the um, Congress in its infinite wisdom included 510K devices that are now eligible for the BDP program. And the reason why I mentioned this is because one of the intentions of the BDP program when your audience reads the criteria it will see is an unmet clinical need well how does put how does someone put unmet clinical need in 510k in the same sentence you know (laughs) it's very difficult to connect those dots um, because you know by definition if your device is coming onto the market as a 510k then there's at least one other device, perhaps more, that are very similar, i.e. substantially equivalent to it. So how can we argue unmet clinical need? Well, this is exactly how I do it. I do not take the literal interpretation of unmet clinical need as to no other technology exists. What I can say in many cases, if there are other devices out there, is 
pardon me, is yes, there are other devices out there, but let's be honest, those devices are pretty crappy devices. They don't work very well. And if I can further get physicians or surgeons or whatever to say, yes, there are other devices, but I would never use them, or I do use them, but I don't really like them, um, I can argue that there is an unmet clinical need, even though there are other devices on the market. So, as, you know, as we've talked about before, Sean, Regulation is all about the interpretation of words and our ability to defend our interpretation. The phrase unmet clinical need can be interpreted in a number of different ways. Well, that's, that's a great point to, uh, to highlight and uh, a great way to end our, our session for today's podcast. So we'll, uh, we'll pick up with uh, another topic next time, and uh, you know, hopefully you uh, create gain some value out of that. As always, if you have any questions or comments that you'd like to share with us, please reach out via email and via the link below. And uh, until next time, this has been Sean Fenske of Medical Product Outsourcing saying uh, thanks for listening.